Thank you, worship team. You want to get your Bibles? Turn to First Peter with me today. We're going to take a one-week break from Sid's series in First Timothy, and we're going to be picking back up in First uh, First Peter, where I preached last. Now, I couldn't even remember what I preached on, so I'm going to do a brief review for you all, so you know where we're at as we covered verses one through nine. Peter is writing to believers in Christ, those who are born again. What that means is that you were physically born at one time. It's your birthday. But what that means is that every one of us is separated from God and spiritually dead. And the Bible says you have to be born again. What that means is that Jesus, God's son, came to this earth, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, and rose again. And when you believe that he died for your sins and came to life, the Bible says you become born again. So Peter is writing to those who are born again. And this is your reality too as well, if your faith is in Christ. And he says, if you're born again, you are exiled. You are a pilgrim. You're a traveler. And the challenge is this. Stop trying so hard to fit in. You don't belong. You are chosen by God. You're paid for by the precious blood of Christ. And you are guaranteed an eternal inheritance with Christ. Everybody just take a deep breath. What a gift. You're going to face trials. They're necessary. They reveal the condition of your faith. And he says in verses 8 there, 7 and 8, that the love that you have for Jesus that you've never seen before, who, who you've never seen, actually sustains you in the difficulties of life. So there's your review. You're a traveler. You're on your way somewhere, and you have a guaranteed inher- eternal inheritance. So today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 25, but I just want to give you a, kind of a, a brief intro to this, that there's a real danger in this room right here. Can't speak for outside, but in this room is a real danger. That when you're around something so much, it just becomes common to you. It's like if you live in a municipality that actually has great water, you don't think about it until you live somewhere else, and then you realize how good the water we have, right? We take things for granted. So what I'd like you to do, if you've got a pen and the bulletin there, In the upper left-hand corner, I want you to ponder something that is precious to you. Write it down. Just first thing that comes to your mind, something precious to you. Write that down in the upper left-hand corner. And then I want you to ponder something you use all the time, but take for granted. It's just part of your life. You just put that in the upper right-hand corner. So we're going to come back to those in a minute, but... How many of you are familiar with the Antique Roadshow? Put them up, let's see. All right. Uh, Sometimes trivial little stuff has an insane value. Or at least somebody says it has some uh, crazy appraisal. Uh, For many people, it's stuff that they have sitting on the shelf that grandpa or uncle or somebody gave to them. And they're just curious if it has any worth. And so it's been sitting there, and it's just kind of this neat little trinket or a little antique or whatever, and they find out it's you know, worth $20,000 or whatever. And uh, for, 
for many, that's exciting. And for others, there's wealth missed. They go to the flea market and they pick this up for like $8. Somebody didn't know the true worth of something. They didn't appreciate its worth. And so somebody really struck wealth there and the other person really lost out. But in the antique roadshow, most of the time, this is my speculation. The value of what they're getting appraised is not life-changing. So they go home, call the insurance company, get it, appra- get it uh, insured, and they put it right back on the shelf. And what they come out with is a new appreciation for what was formerly just a trinket or something passed down from somebody. You all agree with me on that one? Okay. Now, some things don't really matter that we take for granted. But when we take other things for granted, it has a serious devastation. Some things that we can take for granted, but really, probably through life, you've learned that you shouldn't. A good job. Got a good job? Don't take it for granted. How about a wife or a husband? Don't take that for granted. A mother who serves you. A dad who works hard. Check this one out. Obedient children. If your children are obedient, you ought to daily praise the Lord. That's not something you take for granted. A living parent, you probably have. And then realize one day when they were no longer here, that that was something precious to you. A good marriage or your health. Perhaps even you can take for granted the local church. It'll always be there, so you thought, until it's not. Or maybe Bible teaching. Uh, you can take for granted that your pastors are going to open the Bible and we're going to walk through verse by verse teaching God's word. We shouldn't take that for granted because you won't find that in a lot of places. But today I want to talk about something that you absolutely cannot take for granted. I don't care how much you've heard it, how long you've been around it. You can never grow tired of hearing it or proclaiming it. And here it is. You're ready. You and I can have forgiveness of sins and stand free before the holy of holies. That sounds almost sacrilegious. That sounds almost, did you you just say that? You and I can have forgiveness of sins and stand free before the holy of holies. That is amazing. We receive that free gift that by believing that Christ died and rose again for us. Go back to your paper, upper left-hand corner. Did that make your precious list? You see, when we forget just how precious this is, when we take it for granted, it has devastating effects on our Christian walk. You may have not thought about this before. Yes, I believe that Christ died and rose again for me. But it has huge implications on your Christian walk when you take it for granted. And Peter today in the text is going to help us understand if we are taking it for granted. And I want to encourage all the kids in the house under 20, if you've been in the Bible-believing church your whole life, your parents have brought you in. I want to encourage all of you to listen up as well. Because you, if you've been around Open Door Long, you've always heard the name of Jesus. And you've always heard a simple, clear gospel, and you've always had Bible teaching here. Don't take it for granted. 
So today, um, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to teach us, and then I'm going to ask if you guys will stand with me as we just read the entire text together. Can we do that? Let me pray. Lord, please help us to understand this. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us. Um, may it change the way we think, and may you reveal to us or give us this clarifying test of, are we truly appreciating this wonderful salvation? May we come out of here with a deeper gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to read the whole text together, just out of honor of the Word of God. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10. It says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners, here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere, sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all the glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever." And this is the word that was preached to you. You may be seated. So today, we're going to march down through this passage by God's grace. And I believe that when we find that we truly appreciate our salvation, there are things that are going to be true of us. And so I want to encourage you as we go down through this, circle different points that maybe reveal that you're not truly appreciating how amazing this wonderful salvation is. Well, we're going to see in verses 10 to 12 that truly appreciating our salvation brings the realization that we have something others don't. Anybody know somebody who has a lot of something, a lot of uh, money, a lot of resources, 
and doesn't quite realize that it's not normal to have that much of that. And they don't appreciate it. And again, nothing wrong with having a lot of things, but when they lack appreciation for something, isn't it kind of awkward at best? A little bit difficult to be around? You guys with me on that one? It's where somebody has resources and they don't appreciate it. Well, the prophets of past who are led by the Holy Spirit long to see it. Hebrews 11 captures it. But in verses 10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with greatest care. So they spoke of this grace, meaning they verbally admitted, they publicly admitted, that their faith or hope that they were leaning on grace. Even though they did not fully understand what we understand today, they were leaning on grace. We've got this weird notion that the people in the Old Testament got to heaven by works and that today we have grace. That's just not true. Actually, the, the, uh, Paul in Romans makes it, goes on to say very clearly that Abraham was declared righteous by faith, that it's always been by faith, trusting God for what we cannot see. And it's always been <clears throat> that we trust him and lean in our maker. But what in this text, if you keep your head buried in verse 10, what in this text reveals that they were looking in faith? It says they searched intently and with great care to find out the times and the circumstances the spirit in them predicted the Messiah's suffering. In fact, you could even say that Isaiah 53 was a desire truly to know and understand who this Messiah was. But sometimes realizing what others wish they had helps you realize how precious something really is. And here in the text that says they invested great time and energy and prayer and all sorts of investments from themselves to understand this grace that we now swim in. In fact, we swim in it so much, we sometimes just don't even think about how unusually awesome it is that we are accepted by God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 12 goes on to say that the prophets learned that they were prophesying for future generations the gospel of Christ. And Peter is saying it was these believers in northern Turkey, and specifically those who were trusting in Christ who they'd never seen, and that also includes us. And he wants, Peter wants the believers to realize just how special it is that at the time of the church and us today, that we have the complete gospel, we know who the Messiah is, his name is Jesus, we have the record of his death and resurrection and his ascension, and that we can know God's love through Christ. And Peter's saying, don't take this for granted. There have people for hundreds and thousands of years who have wished and longed to experience and swim in the waters of grace that we all have. The prophet searched for it, and he makes a very pretty strong statement at the end of verse 12, even angels long to see or look into these things. We are so blessed. That's where you actually should say amen. Yeah, we are so blessed. And when you realize that so many, 
for so many years have longed to experience and know what we know, it brings a true appreciation to what we have in Christ. So first point, we truly, we truly are appreciating our salvation when we realize that not everybody has what we have. We're going to see in verse 13, truly appreciating our salvation brings an alertness, soberness, spiritual engagement, and hope on grace. Let's read it together. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he's saying, therefore, in light of all that's promised in Christ, how should we live as travelers, as pilgrims, as exiles? What's it practically look like? He uses the phrase here, alert minds and sober, or prepare your minds for action. The word picture I get is this, this is the, this is the man who's got to have a baseball bat next to his bed, just in case, or the loaded gun, or the mom who has babies and has every possible thing in that diaper bag, just in case. You've all known those mothers, don't you? That's an alert mom. That's a sober mom. And if you've ever been a parent caught without that appropriate something, you're in trouble. It says, with alert minds and sober minds, prepare your mind for action. Peter knew, Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He knew that your, he knew that your thinking dictates your actions. And your thoughts are always upstream of your actions. So if you find your actions appalling to maybe yourself or to God, always look upstream and ask God to reveal to you what you have been fixing your mind on. Food, alcohol, screens, worry, Addictions, pornography, they all intoxicate the mind and they dull your alertness. Sin dulls the spiritual mind. And he goes on to say, set your hope on the grace that's coming when Jesus comes back. So he has this idea that we actually have a daily choice to set our minds or control where we put our brains and put it on the coming grace from Christ. But I see a standard practice, and here's what it is. And I talk to people in a church family, this is what it is. You wake up, you go down, you turn the TV on. You put your mind in neutral, and then you allow others to tell your mind what to think for the day. That's a warning. The text says, with minds that are alert and fully sober... And it's a choice to set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we're not called to set our mind or our hope in circumstances or results on earth, but we find our hope in grace. You can see the, the, the Bible passage listed there in 2 Thessalonians. I want to read it to you. It says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and a good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. 
Hebrews 13 goes on to say, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for your hearts to be strengthened by grace. So we see here that truly appreciating our salvation, number one, helps us realize that we have something others don't. We see also truly appreciating our salvation brings an alertness, a soberness, a spiritual engagement, and actually a hope on the grace that's coming with Christ. Then we're going to see in verses 14 to 16 that truly appreciating our salvation brings a desire to walk in obedience and holiness. Let's see it in verse 14. It says this, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you was holy, so be holy in all you do. It's written, be holy because I am holy. So as he says, as obedient children, as a child has a choice to obey their parents, so we, all of us, have a choice, just like a child, to walk in obedience to Christ and to honor him in holiness. This is a daily thing. It's a spiritual civil war of sorts. And sin for us used to be ignorance. We were the child who said, I didn't know, Mom. No longer anymore. And I, I just had to just say this. With Christ as our Savior, with the Helper or the Holy Spirit inside, and the Word of God in front of us, we have everything we need for life and godliness. That's the second time you can say amen. All right, I'm going to say it again. With Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of the guide inside of us, and the Word in front of us, we have everything we need for life and godliness. It's no longer ignorance, but we know. And we're called to be holy. Help finish these passages with me. Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might that I might not sin against you. How about this? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we do conform to our old evil desires, it is proof that either we don't know the, Lord, don't know the word or we stopped walking after the Spirit. Now, verses 15 to 16 says that God is holy and we're commanded to walk after him. The word holy means sacred or set apart, moral, blameless, consecrated, or pure. And as you think about that, you're thinking that's impossible. But the Christian life is really leaning on God's grace to walk after him day by day, moment by moment, and bit by bit, he makes us more set apart. From the world. Now, I am willing to bet that the more you appreciate this great salvation, the more you trust Him as you seek to walk in holiness, you start to feel like a foreigner in this world. And I would say the longer that is the case, the more that's real in your life. You start to feel out of step with the culture and the world around you. It's not because you're getting old. It's because you're becoming more holy or set apart or sacred from the world. 
We're going to go on to see in verse 17 that truly appreciating our salvation brings a healthy fear of God that will impact your choices. He says this, Since you, as believers, as born again, you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So why be alert? Why be obedient? Why be holy? Because you don't know when Jesus is coming back. It's like the parents who go on a date and tell kids to clean up the house before they get home. You all know and remember that, right? Where there's a scramble trying to make sure the house is clean before mom and dad come home. But the text says, God our Father shows no favorites when he picks apart our work on that day. Now, let me be very clear that we are not uh, gained entrance into heaven by our good works. We are not. That is by grace through faith and the death and resurrection of Jesus. But 1 Corinthians 3 captures this idea that as believers in Christ, there is going to be a day of reward for walking by faith and obedience. And we are called to live as a pilgrim, as a foreigner, and we're called to embrace it. And reverent fear is keeping in mind that everything I've said, I think, and I do is going to be laid bare before the Lord someday. Chapter 2, verse 17 captures that show proper respect for everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. So truly appreciating our salvation brings a healthy fear of God that impacts my choices. So, are you truly appreciating your salvation? We'll keep marching. I'm going to get this whole text in today. Verses 18 to 21, truly appreciating our salvation brings an understanding of how precious the blood of Jesus is. Verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life that was handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, I just have to say that we have lost our mind as a culture on our concept of precious. We have literally lost our mind. Insanity. And I have to take a moment to just expose the insanity. And I think all of us are probably guilty at one way or another of losing touch of reality of what's precious. I'll just give you some examples. Human life is no longer precious, displayed by our tolerance of abortion, or euthanasia. It's just no longer precious. So people aren't precious, right? Purity is no longer precious. That's proven by wide-scale pornography. So if you're engaged in pornography, it's proof you do not believe in the preciousness of purity. Modern-day slave trade and people engaging in adultery, that's sexual activity outside of marriage. People no longer see purity as precious. Marriage is no longer viewed as precious. Crazy divorce rates and the number of people that are dragging their feet for years, living together, not willing to be married before God. Children are no longer viewed as precious. 
since the average American family is not replacing itself and has not been doing so since 1971. In fact, many view the cost of adoption of a child to be unreasonable. And yet, we will pay two times that price for a piece of steel on four tires that goes down the road and rusts away in a decade. We no longer view children as precious. We no longer view the Bible as precious. We've never had more Bibles available, but I find more and more people who are struggling saying, I ask, have you, have you been in the Word? Have you been eating and consuming the Word? And there's a sheepish look of like, mm, not really. It's because we don't hold the Bible to be precious. Instead, please forgive me if I offend you, but instead we call dumb baseball cards pictures of people who throw, catch, and hit a ball. And we call that precious, $5 million precious. I'm sure some of you saw the news. Man died in Florida and left his family $20 million of baseball cards, a whole collection. That's what we call precious. Pictures on a piece of paper that will be burned up first thing when he comes back. We have lost our minds and have no idea how to decide what's precious. When we understand the preciousness of the blood of Christ, it realigns all other standards of preciousness. In verse 18, he says essentially, let me tell you what you were not redeemed with. You know that most precious metal that humankind has always said is the most precious called gold and silver? No. You weren't bought with that. And in case you thought that your family background was something to brag about, all they handed down to you was an empty, sinful way of life. And what were you bought with, verse 19? There was great cost, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Precious unlike any other. Exodus 12 says that the, the lamb that was to be uh, sacrificed for their sins had to be perfect without defect for God to accept it. In John 1, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Hebrews goes on in great detail to share and help us understand that Jesus was unlike any of anyone else in all of history. The only, the one and only God-man. Not one of a hundred like a baseball card. One. Only one. One man. Fully God for all eternity. So he alone could sufficiently pay for the sins of the world. Put on flesh, was like us in every way, yet without sin so that he could accurately and sufficiently represent mankind as he died on the cross. Only one had the blood sufficient to pay for our sins. One. Of all mankind, one. Can I repeat that? One. Hebrews 9 says it this. Listen to the scripture. He, Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once 
for all by his own blood. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve living God. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect those who are being made holy. The blood of Jesus is so precious since he is the only one. And we see in verse 20 that he was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for your sake. So uh, Peter further clarifies just how special this payment was because this plan was in effect before the first let there be in Genesis 1. So before let there be light. All the let there be's in Genesis 1. This plan was in place. The Father had established this. And it's proof that this wonderful salvation has nothing to do with our efforts or good, our choices. But it was revealed through Jesus in our time for our sakes. Now verse 21 says, Through him you believed in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So we see that he, Jesus, is the conduit that our faith travels through, that as we believe he died and he rose again to glory, our faith is firmly fixed on God and Father, our Maker. Now we're going to see in verses 22 and 23, truly appreciating your salvation creates a deep love for our brothers and sisters. It says, now that you've been purified, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Peter says here in verse 22, it's as if he pictures that their souls are being purified or washed by obedience. He's not saying that you get to heaven by works. It's not that at all. But I believe he had in mind what John had in mind, that he says in 1 John 3 that this is his command, that to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he's commanded us. And in verse 22, the truth to be obeyed is believing in Jesus Christ and letting that directly affect our choice to love other believers in Christ. Love is doing what's best for them no matter the cost to self. And it gives three descriptions of our love for each other. Let's check it out. Our love for others should be a sincere love. Nothing fake. Nothing like just smile and wave. Just walk away. No, it's a sincere love. Secondly, it's a love each other deeply. That's pursuing what's best for others. And it's going deep in our love for them. And then lastly, he says, from the heart, meaning let's fully commit. Now, how is this done if people drive me crazy? Moment of confession. I'm going to give two examples. In my family, I love all five of my children. Some of them are easier to love and some of them are more difficult to love. As a pastor, I love our church family. Some of you are easier to love and some of you are more difficult. Did I just offend you? 
Okay, good. You, are, you know who you are. All right, here we go. How do we love each other? How do we love people who are difficult? Verse 23 says that when people are born again, when they have been born again, they receive an imperishable seed. And when I seek to love others, that imperishable seed is the eternal word of God. It's Jesus Christ taking up residence by the Holy Spirit. So when I try to love people, I actually seek to love God in them. You don't look for lovable people and love them. You love others, other Christians deeply from the heart because you realize that the only thing that good dwells in you is Christ. And when they profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, you also can love Christ in them as well. So the word the Lord has placed in them is the seed, and we're going to see, that takes a temporary person like grass. We're described as grass. and makes them eternal, stamps eternity on their hearts. Verses 24 and 25, and we'll close it with this. Truly appreciating my salvation brings a proper perspective and timeline on my earthly life. Verses the word of God. He says this, verse 24, For all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So Peter here is quoting from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. And it's as if he's saying, in case you're wondering if your view of your earthly life is too high, all your moments, all your efforts, all the food you've consumed, the space you've used up, it's like grass. How does that make you feel about your, uh, your earthly tent around here? like grass, flowers. And sooner or later, you're going to fall. But in contrast, God's word will endure. And Peter knew what Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I really believe that appreciating our salvation will cause you to grow in your confidence of God's word and his love for you and it will pry your fingers off of this earthly tent. Let me say it again. I believe that as you appreciate your salvation, you'll have a deeper love for the enduring word of God, a deeper appreciation and rootedness in the fact that you are loved and you start to trust God more as you look in the mirror because you realize you can't keep up this facade. That word that was preached to you is the word of the gospel. And that through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are chosen, made holy, and declared his possession. So with this, in case I have not been a very good teacher today, I want to say it the opposite and see if this makes sense for you. If you do not realize that not everybody has salvation, if you don't live soberly or spiritually engaged, or perhaps maybe you're fixing your hope on circumstances, 
or if you don't live with a healthy fear of your sinful conduct, if you don't appreciate just how precious the blood of Christ is, if you don't love your Christian sibling or love your local family deeply, or if you don't realize the shortness of human life and the eternalness of the word of God, you probably don't appreciate this wonderful salvation that saves your soul and will sustain you in the hardest of times. I want to encourage you to take time to get alone with God today and thank him for his wonderful salvation that was paid for by Christ. And really, my goal today, and I don't think the text, the goal of the text is to get you to work harder at all. Just appreciate more. Make it a habit of smiling, looking up towards the Lord and saying, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful free gift. There is so much temporary in this world. This salvation is not. Living holy really does matter for eternity because our Father does judge our work impartially. Your new life was paid in full by the precious blood of Christ, the one and only. So much in life, and you can probably relate to this the longer you've lived, so much in life on this pilgrimage really does change. In fact, I think we've all realized that life is changing very much. The word of God doesn't. So I encourage you to trust him, his word. Love your spiritual brothers and sisters deeply because God's word and his people are the only thing that really lasts. So today, take time to appreciate the gift of the salvation of your soul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this passage. Lord, we sit in amazement at this wonderful salvation, the salvation of our souls. Lord, we truly, truly do declare and believe that you have paid it all. We declare our faith that we believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God who died and rose again. Lord, as a church family, help us to grow in our appreciation of this wonderful salvation that Jesus Christ, the one and only, shed his blood that we could have the forgiveness of sins. Lord, may this lead to humility that for those who do not know this wonderful forgiveness through Christ, may we share it with others. May it produce a deep love for your body, the church, and our Christian siblings. May we walk out of here with just a lightness in our step. May we lift our gaze to you in the quietness of even our homes and say, thank you, Lord. I just so appreciate it. May we never take it for granted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.